What's up, y'all? As I adjust my mic here, which I should have done a while ago, but I didn't. Because I was chasing my effing cat around the house. What's up, everyone? My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat for Wednesday, October 18th, 2017. Thank you so much for joining me. Fun little uh, podcast we have today. We'll go about 90 minutes, a little bit less. Uh, talking about the latest and greatest in mixed martial arts and really whatever is on your mind. Best place to get your questions in, of course, are going to be in the place where this window is embedded on MMAfighting.com there in the comment section. I get a lot of questions about, like, where do I post questions? Um, at about 9 or 9.30 every Wednesday morning, I post a, I put up a post on MMAfighting.com where in the comment section you leave questions or comments, whatever. And the ones that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. Okay. Uh, hope you're doing well. It is a wonderful day here in the nation's capital. It is, let's see, what is the weather here today? It is spectacular. Took the dogs out this morning. Oh, my God. Amazing. 68. 68 and sunny. Mm. Puts you in a good mood. And I went to Chipotle where I shoplifted. Not the whole thing, of course. Uh, just the hot sauce. Mmm. There we go. You know, I used to have a rule where I would only shoplift hot sauce from Chipotle uh, <laughs> if I got really bad customer service, and now I just do it whenever I need hot sauce. So I'm really a degenerate POS. Okay. Let's get this going, shall we? And by the way, if you're watching this, subscribe to MMA Fighting below and give the video a like. We always appreciate it when you do that. Okay, first question. Is not a question. It's just the words not O. Like literally N-O-T space the letter O. And it got eight recommendations. I don't know what that is. Uh, somebody asked below that, thoughts about the Mark Hunt lawsuit in terms of him being removed. Um, are you as surprised as everyone else? We talked a bit about this last week. Seems to me to make sense. Hunt's lawsuit against the UFC is moving forward. Their motion to dismiss the case was denied. That's not much of a forward progress. Would it weaken his case if he continued to take fights inside the UFC against opponents who thinks he thinks could be juicing? Um, I don't know why he'd be upset if that was the case. That would be doing him a favor. And UFC pulling him could be to their benefit as well. We talked about this a little bit. Just I want to add one update to the story. More or less, my point was, like if, if the UFC is acting in bad faith, it's not obviously clear how that's true it could be true but again putting him on cards after the fact in significant fights in the first case the one that he lost in las vegas where he was at media day blasting the company headlining in new zealand headlining in sydney you know if they're trying to bury him it's not obvious that's clear also the record as i mentioned last week you know look uh, what it there's a larger question to be asked about what is the healthcare providing role that the UFC has to fill, and we talked about this on um, the MMA beat as well, where you know they already provide accident insurance, they have this performance institute which focuses on prevention and rehabilitation, best practices around training. They already take on some of these roles. How much further do they need to go as it relates to weight cutting or something else? And my argument basically is like, if you want someone beyond California to do anything about weight cutting, it has to be the UFC. And that won't solve the problem because it affects every organization at every level. But it would be obviously a significant step. Um, but it, 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 in this case, uh, if they're acting in bad faith, no one has laid out the argument. Now, I got an email from somebody 
um, I'll just say close to Hunt, who tried to lay out the case that it was that they that they had reason to believe the UFC was acting in bad faith, but they didn't lay out any they didn't make any real arguments. Uh, so I'm willing to hear them, but it sounds like if there is information about this, it's being kept by both parties behind the scenes. So all we're really able to do is judge based on what we know externally. Um, and maybe that information that's being concealed is mitigating. Maybe it's not. Again, we'd have to see what it is. But until I'm aware of this information, I, it's hard for me to draw any other conclusion than, you know, is the UFC maybe acting hastily? You could make an argument there. Uh, inconsistently? I mean, for sure, that's true. Inappropriately? I don't know. I don't know if that's really an open and shut case that they're acting inappropriately. All right. Here's a bad question. Uh, Luke, after Tyron Woodley's next fight, do you think there will be enough evidence to have the FDA certify him as a sleeping aid? Boop. All right. First real question. Here we go. That's green anyway. Uh, lightweight matchups. Habib's wish, Malinaji's claim. Since the last live chat, Habib has called for himself versus Ferguson. Yes, he did. And Connor versus Nate. Barboza has said that he got an offer to fight Habib at UFC 219. And Paulie Malinaji is claiming that a fight versus Connor actually can't happen. What do you make of all of this? Let's take these in pieces, shall we? All right. So Habib calls for a fight with Ferguson and then for Connor versus Nate. All right, here's what I think about that. Obviously, I think the most important fight to make and the one that is critical to make, frankly, is Connor versus Tony. Um, I have made that pretty clear. The ones are made, but my basic attitude suggestion is that if the parties involved are okay with it, right, if Tony is completely okay defending his title against Habib, um, and therefore the Connor Nate fight presents itself as basically not the only option, but the sort of obvious choice at that point, um, then, then who am I to get in the way is sort of my attitude about that. Because I think that was, those would still be big fights. Um, they would still be meaningful. Potentially if Connor got his wish at 155 and that was a title fight, it would be a weird title fight, but at least it would be, I don't know, MMA. Um, and you would sort of get the UFC 209 redo with Habib versus Tony, which still in my mind is for the number one contender. I mean, Kevin Lee obviously was had his back up against the wall uh, with that staph infection, and, you know, he's still 25. He still has some growth to do but, and, and did did quite well given all those limitations, but um, like that fight needed to happen before there's any re resolution of what, what happens with Connor. Um, at least I can entertain that idea. Um, again, if Tony was like, well, no, I've earned my title shot against Conor McGregor, I would say, yes, you have. Again, doing something at lightweight, which really, no, not, not really, matter of factly, no one has done before. Uh, and I think you have to acknowledge that too. So if Tony is okay with it, um, sure, do substantial harm. I guess I could live with it in those circumstances. But I think if Tony is at all saying to himself, I'm past that, then I think he's, uh, and I, I, I'm completely willing to entertain that as well. So my first choice, Conor versus Tony. Second choice, uh, the mechanism that Habib has suggested. That's, that's my order of, of priority, which then takes us to Barboza. 
The Barboza one is interesting. I would also be happy to see Barboza versus Habib Nurmagomedov in part because it'd be a really big test. It was a test that Tony Ferguson passed, but Tony Ferguson is obviously a very, very different fighter than Habib Nurmagomedov with a very, very different skill set. That would be an important moment for both of those guys. And if if Edson got a win over Habib, hey, man, he's right back out there in the title uh, shot uh, sweepstakes as well. You know, he's had a couple of some brilliant KOs of late, um, or at least some strong performances, no matter what. So so if they're going to go Tony Connor, I would be okay with Habib uh, and Edson very much. Very much. You gotta earn your keep out there, folks. So so sure, that would that would be great. But the one that I just can't stomach, and I cannot believe that we're gonna do this again, uh, or potentially do this again is this notion that anybody wants to see Pauly versus Connor. I mean, gag me with a spoon, my Lord. I could hardly think of a worse idea than this one. We should just have him out there, you know, uh, hey, can Connor beat Bobby Flay at making, uh, you know, shepherd's pie or have Connor see if he can out knit these old biddies. Down at the old folks' home. Let watch Connor see if he can out jet ski. Whoever somebody is in the jet ski world. What can, can how far can Connor get on American Ninja Warrior? Let's see Connor on on Jeopardy. Like these things where you're just watching Connor McGregor's life in all aspects that have nothing to do with MMA. Don't care about that at all. I cannot. I cannot understand. What could possibly be the appeal of a Paul Malignaggi boxing fight? Now, that isn't to say I am so confused about the world that I recognize there wouldn't be a substantial revenue opportunity for both fighters. Let me say a couple things about that. Number one, I am so tired of having what's good for promoter logic repeated back to me as something I need to also in terms of matchmaking. So, for example, well, X fight is going to make more money for Y fighter and Z promoter than just the breaks. No, that's really not. I don't, I don't, let me say this as, as clearly as I can. I don't give NF fight, whatever, whatever he does, I have to pay for it regardless choice of which one I want to see I have zero interest watching a guy who is retired fight a guy who's 0-1 in a sport that neither of them should be really competing in at this point who cares I'll tell you who cares um, I'm dismayed to see some of my good friends who have a bit of a pro wrestling slant like it and there's nothing I can do about that and I won't slander them because I like them very much but the bulk of the audience for that the bulk of the audience for that are low information casual voters. And in this case, they're just low information casual donks. People say, well, that's what the fight, that's what the fans want to see. No, predominantly, that's what the low information casuals want to see. And they got their fill already, as far as I'm concerned. They got their chance to dictate the terms with Mayweather versus McGregor. And to an extent, we do kind of fundament fundamentally have to accept in some ways. We are very much at their mercy. If that larger market is interested in it, it has a way of dictating to us what, what happens. So I understand how we've been conditioned to say, well, what makes the most money? 
that makes the most sense. No, what makes the most sense is what you like. Good argument for what do you really want to see? And I would bet you that the overwhelming majority of fight fans, real fight fans, and that concludes boxing and MMA, really just have very little desire to see this. They may end up watching it because we are all gluttons for punishment and we don't really have a say sometimes. But what I really want to stop, I, I stop doing it to me. If I ask you what it is you want to see, do not tell me some projection of the future based on larger market conditions. That is not what I am asking you. What I'm asking you is, what do you want to see? And this is a serious question that you guys out there need to start asking yourselves, especially the ones who are in favor of this Malinaji nonsense. Do you want to see MMA anymore? What could possibly be the appeal? of watching a guy who's not a very good boxer box somebody he doesn't like. I don't like my neighbor. Who gives a fuck? Where he is the king of the best division in mixed martial arts. What? Contest. It's not even a contest. Easy call. Oh, these two guys don't like each other. Who cares? One's retired. One. And that was literally, he got beat by literally, I am not exaggerating, he got beat by literally the worst version of Mayweather we've ever seen. It was a nice run. He made a gajillion dollars. Good for him. I'm not mad at him for it. But it's time to, we have lost the plot here. Doing. To me, like people are just, eh, I don't want to see Connor in MMA anymore. What? <laughs> I'd rather see, hey, can Connor climb El Capitan? What, what's up with Connor going into space? I wonder what would happen if Connor tried sumo. I want to see him do what he is by far the best at. Of all of MMA fights, only that many are really good based on technical skill. And that's the very section of the fight game Connor belongs in. Away from that because he has beef with an old sparring partner? Oh my God. This is the worst idea I have ever heard. Time when we need to sort of rekindle interest in the sport in a down year and people just want to double down on boxing. If their profit margins are in such dire straits that they have to make the fight to survive, yeah, I guess in that circumstance, you make the fight to survive. Short of that, this is crazy. He is a mixed martial arts fighter and a damn good one at that. An elite one, breaking one, excluding all of the pay-per-view buy rates. First guy to hold two titles at the same time. And we're just going to walk away from that. Go, I, I don't like Paulie. I don't like Connor. Woo. Do you not like watching elite mixed martial arts? It's so hard to find. It's so rare and so special. And we just want to piss it away because there's these two donkeys can't get along. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? Wow, who cares? I mean, a good grudge match is a nice addition to a fight. 
Sure. It's not the core unless the other context is already built in. Namely, talk about two elite fighters. And you are, if we can go back in time for Paulie, and you are, if we're talking about Connor and MMA, super elite. But in boxing, mm, not elite. And Paulie, well past his prime. Had a, had a very respectable career, but well past his prime. He retired for a reason. Oh, it'd be competitive. Yeah, so what? If I went out there and played with a bunch of middle schoolers, I could dunk on them. Great. Who gives a damn? I'm terrible. And so were they. Doesn't mean anything. There is a common standard of excellence. We are just completely ignoring, well, it'd be a big paycheck for them. Great. That means nothing to me. Well, it's what it would be good for WME. Great. I don't give a shit. What's great for me? What's great for you? That's what you should be talking about. And I understand. I get it. We live in a world where fighters have this much of a window and they want to get the most amount of dollars for the least amount of damage. I'm not mad at Paulie for trying to pursue this, nor am I mad at Connor if, in fact, this is true and he tries to pursue it. It's completely rational for them to do it. It's also rational for you and rational for me to say, no, thank you. Not interested. Doesn't do it for me. It is not true that fan interest, the kind of fights and the particular kinds of matchups that matter to fans matter to fighters. They actually, in many ways, have diametrically opposed interests and needs. This is why there's some concern about the Ali Act. There's a lot of good that it does. One of the things that it gives me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies about is how it would fundamentally alter matchmaking in the interest, heavily so, towards fighters. And I don't think fans have really understood that or accepted that or what that means. I do not care if it makes them a lot of money. They are they are totally allowed and, and nothing, nothing even remotely unethical for pursuing that. I get it. That has nothing to do with me or you as a fight fan. They get to pursue their interests and you get to vote with your dollars. You get to speak to promoters and other interested parties about what you want. Do not pair it back. Well, it'd make the most money. So what? There's a lot of things that would make a lot of money that have that are not necessarily good or interesting even. I don't know that this would be the apocalypse if this happened, but wow, that's boring. And if it's just this diversion to get more money from the UFC for a fight with Nate, fine. I mean, who could be? Yes, okay, do what you got to do. But this notion of like, well, it'd be a big pay-per-view, don't care. Well, it would generate a lot of the get, don't care. You guys, when you begin to engineer fights so strictly and so so nakedly around what, you know, you're ignoring to what extent there's a competitiveness element to this. I'm not saying competitive. I don't mean at the same level. I mean both at the same level above a common standard, which neither are. Uh when you begin to ignore that, when you begin to just engineer, what's the most strange matchup we can make for the most amount of dollars, irrespective of whether or not we are what, what we're showing here is some kind of common standard of excellence? You begin to get into some problems there. I, I not every time, not all the time, but I, I just fundamentally, yes, you want to put on the fights that people want to pay money to see, but you also we have a structure here, and I mentioned this before. 
Connor is the champion, and I fundamentally believe that the champion has a responsibility to that weight class. And I know some folks have said, well, well, it's not codified anywhere. Are we really going to break long-standing, helpful, frankly, time-tested, established norms of how combat sports divisions are created and maintained because they're not codified in some kind of CBA? That seems like a really bad idea. That seems like a uh, idea that has long-term consequences that we don't want to go down that path. That's that's what that that's. I mean, when you say, "Well, it's not really," you know, it's not codified anywhere. Okay, and maybe it should be to some extent. And the UFC has sort of been getting away with a world where they don't have to worry about those concerns. These this might all be true. Uh, at the same time, we need to be very, very, very careful about that. Very careful about that. Um, throwing the baby out with the architectural bathwater here seems not prudent and in every way unnecessary. So that's my thought on the Paul Malinaji fight. It's like, I think he's a fantastic commentator. Uh, their beef was interesting and fun, I guess, as a sideshow uh, during Mayweather and McGregor. But I'm ready because I like MMA to get back to MMA. And there's not a lot of MMA that's really elite. And I don't want to lose that so that we can make an utterly irrelevant boxing fight. If you're a Conor McGregor fan and you want to see Conor do all those things, hey, here's Conor horse riding. Here's Conor going to the moon. Uh, here's Conor uh, on freestyle battling a bunch of barista white kids. Here's Conor at this award show, that's fine. There's you, you can do that. But if you're a fight fan, you have to say, well, let's put Connor in the context that makes sense for uh, his, his talents, nay, his responsibilities, uh, and the given field of occupation where he has done the best by a country mile done the best. Uh, I am so not in favor of this Malinaji fight. I don't give two flying Fs if it generates all the money in the world for them, that's that's not as a consumer. I don't worry, man. What's what could they put in the iPhone that would really make Apple a lot of money, but inconvenience me? What? I don't care. And in some ways, you just kind of live with it, right? The headphone jack that they removed, so now everyone has to get Bluetooth speakers. Ooh. But I don't like you. Don't think that way. You get annoyed. You're like, no, I don't want that. And if, and if enough of you speak out instead of just having this reflexive reaction, we're like, well, what would make money for them? I don't care what would make money for them. What's good for me as a consumer? Say it. Say it to your friends. Say it to people who ask. Say it when the promoter asks on a survey. Let them know your preferences. Don't ape them and repeat back to them, Caesar is home. Ape, no kill ape. <laughs> what good for WMEIMG? Don't do that. Don't do that. Tell them. Tell them what you think. Because enough of this, man. Ugh. All right. So it says, we'd love to see a Connor versus Barboza fight. Yeah, sure.
I don't know why people seem to be putting so much stock into what Paulie said. It screams to me simply of him trying to keep his name out there, could be, and stay relevant in the fight world, sort of, basically. But uh, what he's been doing ever since his sparring with McGregor, he's just trying to secure the fight by continuing to talk S and call Connor a names. Sure, Connor mentioned his name in the recent Q&A, but he mentioned a lot of names, and he's always been the master of letting the UFC know his options. All right. Well, again, if that's if all this is, I mean, when Al, when if Al Heyman talked to Dana and this is strictly for some kind of negotiation roundabout with Connor because they'll entertain this, you know, I, I, you know the world won't end. Uh, but wow, what is it? You know, <laughs> I I just can't wrap my head around how anyone could want to see that. I, I mean, Connor, yes, big paycheck. Paulie, sure, big paycheck. Good for them. Does zip for me. Uh, Cam Newton, uh, was what he said really all that bad as a combat sports fan? Maybe I've grown desensitized to the horrible things people can say to one another, but in the grand scope of things, what Cam said was tamed, tame compared to a lot of combat athletes tired of the PC police and was tired of the faux forced PR apology. Uh, I agree with half of that. Fun example of things fighters have said off the top of my head. Bisping calling Luke Rockhold the six-letter F word. Tyson, are you talking out of turn? I normally don't do interviews with women unless I fornicate with them. So you should <laughs> Jesus Christ. So you should stop talking unless you want to, you know, all of Ricardo Mayorga's, spelled Mayorga wrong, quotes, and the list goes on. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, so some of you are going to be uh, European folk and not really know what a route is either. Now, not because you're a man or a woman just because why would you if you don't watch American football American football um, rugby especially compared to rugby sevens is a very very tactical game it's a very tactical game but there is no more tactical game in the world than American football and that might sound crazy to you if you don't know much about it or you think you do but you really don't like you just look at American football it's just a bunch of guys falling down no it is super 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 technical it's far more technical than MMA it's far more technical than uh, soccer, than baseball, uh, at least insofar as uh, it relates to design. You got to remember all of these football plays, all the arrangements matter, how many of a certain personnel package are on one side of the field versus the other, what angle they run at, what time they run at, whether there's a delay. And a route is what the, the guys at the end, the wide receivers, quarterback says hike, the wide receivers take off. Sometimes they can just take off and run in an improvised way, especially in college. They didn't have any route trees. By the way, RG3 was at Baylor. They had no route trees. They just ran, which is, you know, insane. But in the NFL, there's all different kinds of routes, hitch routes, curl routes, wheel routes. I mean, there's there's dozens and dozens of them. And what that means is they have to run in a certain pattern. It can be zigzag and whatever, but not just a certain pattern. It has to be timed. at any. They have to be at the right place at the right time. So it's not just a designed path, but that path has to be met at a certain time interval. And that means you have to be at a certain field specifically because the quarterback will often not throw to them. He will throw to a place and they have to find themselves there with the route, given what kind of coverage you're looking at. Two safeties, one deep, one shallow, free on one side, strong on the other. How, what's the linebacking core doing? Um, you know, what, what are the quarterbacks doing? What kind of space are they giving? What are they following man to man? Are they playing zone? It's all, are you in the red zone? What, whatever. So you have to be at a certain spot. Very, 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 you know, um, specifically route running is hard to do because it requires a lot of explosion, a lot of speed, a lot of, 
the ability to change direction, a lot of lateral movement. And that's why you get these like tall, lanky guys that look like Usain Bolt who run routes because that's the kind of person from a physical standpoint that you typically need to be. We have to be able to get vertical. It's crazy, right? I and mean, then that's just one small component of what an overall design looks like from a play. It's incredibly technical, right? Um, and most people don't know the ins and outs of not merely, you know, and people could say what a hitch route and a curl route is in terms of a basic explanation, uh, but they won't know the larger. You know, they won't know the Panthers playbook. Here's what the question was. This woman, if you guys didn't know this, she asked, you know, hey, this one guy is doing a really good job of running routes. She actually used the word routes. And Cam Newton was like, that's funny. I mean, he didn't say it in a very malicious way, but he was like, that's funny. I've never heard of a female talk about running routes before. And the world exploded. Now, um, look, first of all, it's a stupid thing for Cam to say. Like, she didn't talk about the playbook or any kind of specific route running strategy or where to move his hands or you know some kind of super specific detail she just mentioned the word she literally just said the word running routes this is not esoteric information in america for someone who's a sports journalist covering a professional football team you should know that there's a thing called a route and that wide receivers run it you don't need to know all the routes you don't need to know all the routes intricacies but having a general awareness of routes this is not super complicated information this is pretty obvious okay uh so for for her to say that is not controversial for him to say that it's just a it's just a it's a stupid thing to say because it's not it's just it's just idiotic it's like being like wow I, you know I don't, know I don't know what the equivalent would be necessarily but it, it's it's a fairly obvious thing that he was surprised at that a woman would know who's doing the job professionally it's like cam i mean please buddy just stop Okay. However, however, the response to it was uh, insane, where there was this arms race of everyone who wanted to, you know, if I'm more outraged than you, well, then, then, then that's the objective here. Um, and it was totally ridiculous. I mean, what he said was, in a professional context, inappropriate, and by any measurement, just stupid. It was a really stupid thing to say. But it wasn't, uh, I mean, he was not, you know, pledging allegiance to Richard Spencer and showing up to Charlottesville with a tiki torch for crying out loud. Like, it was an inappropriate thing to say. And, you know, you shouldn't do things like that. Whether or not you want to buy a forced apology is up to you. But I, the only thing that bothered me was the was the like this level of vitriol that people returned in kind. Obviously, you know, people in the workforce, whether they're old, whether they're, uh, you know, uh, disabled or whatever, there's all kinds of forms of discrimination in the workplace and none of them are OK. But there has to be some kind of proportional response. Not all crimes are murder. Um, and this, is you know, I don't know that maybe this is jaywalking. Maybe it's something a little more sinister than that. But it, it wasn't. It wasn't worthy of this like incredible amount of, you know, self-flagellation that you saw from the media and and more than self-flagellation, the sort of like you know, the same thing they always do, where there's this incredible response of, as I mentioned, this arms race of um, who can feign or demonstrate the most kind of outrage for the most kind of frivolous connectivity, right? It's just it was a bit much to put it mildly, but you know. If you say dumb things in this world, 
there are consequences to it. And he said a really like, like how is a woman knowing about running routes in any way controversial? Like if she tried to like call the playbook out to him, okay, that'd be a little bit different. But just like the acknowledgement that I think that dudes run routes, it's like, dude, everybody who covers the NFL knows that. <laughs> it's not. And this goes back to MMA too. You know, you get a lot of fighters who like, who you don't, there are some that are not like this, but you get some who are, who don't believe that if you've never fought in the octagon, that you can't say anything about about the fights. And uh, I just don't believe that. It's not either you have knowledge, all of the knowledge, or you have no knowledge. There are gradations. There are levels to knowledge. And no, I don't think if you've ever fought in the octagon, chances are you probably don't know as much as somebody who has. And there's a certain amount of recognition that has to go into that. You have to temper what it is you say with an awareness that there is some limitation involved. Um, but it's not true. You either know it or don't know it. Like it's this binary choice. It's, it's much more complicated than that. There are all kinds of things you can learn, um, through observation, through reading, through discussion, through activity, through participation that can really enhance your understanding of what's happening. So, uh, you see that with a lot of professional athletes, like what, what is this? And whether female or not, what does this person know about route running? Well, they didn't try to claim they knew a whole lot about route running. They just tried to claim that they knew route running existed and that one of his wide receivers was doing it. Um, it's sort of insane for him to say, I'm, I'm so surprised. Like, come on, Cam. Uh, Musasi's Bellator debut. Musasi makes his Bellator debut on Friday against Alexander Shlomenko. How do you see this fight going? So I had, so he was on, I believe he was on Ariel's show on Monday. He was on mine as well. Let me finish the question. And in hindsight, how do you see his whole move to Bellator? He would have been pretty close to a UFC title shot by now, and I think he would have a great chance of beating Bisping if they met. Your thoughts? Well, the question is if he would have gotten Bisping at all, given that GSP was out there. Seems unlikely. Maybe he would have gotten a shot against Robert Whitaker, but that feels crazy, you know. Um, even an interim title, if you're Musashi, is probably there but you get the idea it's not it's hard to think that he would have gotten the official title shot with all, all the impediments that were in the way um well first of all i hope like many of you i'm excited to see what he can do i think he had a bit of a tough run early in the ufc because of surgeries and injuries you know the loss to um uh, uriah hall was not good but he rebounded from it and I think at the end there, he was really coming into his own. He had really worked on his wrestling. He had really worked on his takedown defense. He had good striking for a long time. He had really improved his boxing. Um, he's the kind of guy, by the way, he told me he spends about 20000 a camp. Well, sometimes less. It could be as low as ten, but somewhere, let's say, let's say between ten and 20 typically closer to 20 But he builds a camp around himself. He builds a camp around himself at this point. And... Um, you can see what that does for guys who are financially able to afford these kinds of things. There's a lot of value in these super teams, but some guys just work better as the center of attention. And, um, you know, allowing the ones who can financially afford it to do that, I think, reaps a lot of benefits. And so, you know, Musashi's had, a, I mean, you look at his record, he's got a ton of fights. He's got a ton of experience. He's got a ton of, you know, these tune-up fights throughout the course of his career. Um, he should he should do well against Shlomenko. Shlomenko's tricky, you know, um, and can beat guys who are fatally flawed. But he shouldn't beat Musasi. He just shouldn't. He shouldn't beat Musasi. Musasi is just too good. So I'm expecting Musasi to go in there and look awesome. I don't know how he wins. I don't know. If he takes him down, maybe. We'll see. Um, but I'm expecting him to look quite excellent and then win basically wherever he wants. Now, not 
without some resistance, but not enough resistance to really matter in the end. Now, the question is, I mean, I think he told me he expects, you know, expects, but a, a good scenario for him would be putting Shlomenko out within two rounds. So look for that. But the move to Bellator, I mean, I guess we'll see. He told me he's open to um, light heavyweight fights. He told me, um, I asked him, what was the most you ever made for a fight in terms of sponsorship, what's the most you ever made? And he claims, you know, being European and stuff, it's kind of hard. So he told me that the most, he, he's not exactly sure, but he thinks the most is 50, 50,000. And for his last fight in UFC, he was making 15 with Reebok. Now with this one, he says he's making a lot more than that. So well, let's just say double, right? I don't know if that's true, but that sounds like more, somewhere between 20 and 30, but not close to 50. Um, so I think he probably likes that. He, he he explicitly said he likes the idea of I'd rather go chase sponsors than be told I get X amount and not have to worry about chasing sponsors. I think some guys don't mind that, and he's one of them. And I guess it just depends on what kind of fights he can get on what kind of cards. You know, it, it's too early to say how's it going. It hasn't gone yet. Um, let's see what happens with Shamanko. Let's see if he gets a title shot against Ryan Bader. Let's see if he makes that fight with Rory McDonald. Let's see, let's see what he can do and, and what kind of reward it has for him, what kind of reward it has for the fans. So no grade yet, but a lot of reason for optimism and some big challenges ahead. Hope that's not the worst answer ever. Gary Tonin in MMA. Tonin just signed with one to make his pro MMA debut. How do you think he will adapt to MMA and how far do you think he can go? Um, someone says Tonin will fight before Danis. That might be true. I don't know. I don't know if I would challenge that. That might be true. I think Gary Tonin is going to do awesome in MMA. Um, how far he can go? The very, very upper bound limit. Am I ready to declare him the next UFC champion? You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little bit harder to identify jujitsu prospects these days than it used to be. You know, it used to be if you had a, a skill set like Gary Tonin, you could just roll over people in MMA and get to a title shot pretty fast. I don't know if that's the case. Here's a couple of things that work well for Gary um, when you examine what's happening here. Number one, um, he is young still. Um, he is athletic. He trains hard. He does not get injured a lot, relatively speaking. Um, he obviously has a command of the no-gi game. You know, he's not one of these guys who's reliant on the gi. He doesn't put the gi on much at all anymore. Never really had a ton of success in the gi. Had much more no gi. Um, now, that could be good and bad, but I think it's, in this case, good. Um, and obviously has a really adept all-around mixed martial arts game. If he needs to pass to mount, he can. If he needs to work the back, he can. Uh, people know him very commonly more now for his leg locks. That didn't used to be the case. Here's one of the things that worries me a little bit about Gary Tonin, or at least one of the challenges he'll have to adjust his game around. You know, he does a lot of no-gi, and he does a lot of, like, sub-only kind of stuff. At least, he's, at least he's, I don't know if he does a lot of it, but he's certainly famous for it. And this is, I'm not saying anything that I'm sure it has not occurred to him. When you go back to MMA, the combative application of a position begins to matter again. Now, you don't want to overstate that, but it's kind of real. Whereas in sub only, uh, if someone takes mount on you and you're not worried about it because, let's say, you've got a great reversal from there, you've got a good mount escape, um, you don't panic there because it doesn't count for points, and you always got some kind of ace up your sleeve to find your way to the position, that's great. But when someone takes mount on you in MMA, it's real bad. It doesn't look good for the judges, and from a combative application standpoint, 
now they are able to do things to you that are um, particularly devastating. That's true for taking the back and a lot of other things that in sub only, um, they just don't worry about. And I think retooling some of those instincts, retooling some of those things. Now, look, he's really good about escaping. He's really good about recapturing position when he needs to. But it's going to be a bit of a culture change. One of the reasons why, like some of these guys from points, you know, if someone takes mount on you on point, it's like the end of the world. And they'll fight like hell to not allow it. And that has real combative application that they can take back. I mean, sort of turning this into a points versus sub only thing, which is not what the question was asked. But long story short, he's a really, really talented guy. I think if he tweaks some of the things he's been doing for MMA, which I'm sure he's aware that he needs to, uh, and in a much more specific detail than I could tell you, and he will have a lot of success. But, you know, what's his wrestling like? Good. Let's see if he can advance it. Not great, but good. And what's his striking like? We've not seen hardly anything but hit and mitts. That doesn't tell us a whole lot. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of questions. But, you know, Mackenzie Dern, I thought, had made a lot of progress. She's still got a, a ton of work to do. She does a lot of looking down and throwing punches, as I talked about on the Monday Morning Analyst. Um, we'll see what kind of issues Tonin presents. But, but yes, there's a lot of things going in his favor. And, you know, bringing in a bit of a cult following from jiu-jitsu into MMA is always good as well. Um, it, it, can, it can have benefits for you when you leave MMA and go back to jiu-jitsu. Um, it's good for promotion of the community. It's there's, there's, you know, it's good for getting sponsors that are maybe um, only in the BJJ market, not MMA, but will follow you to MMA. Those kinds of things. So there's there's a lot of benefit there too. So I'm I'm really excited, and I think one's a great signing for him because they can match make around you. One Bellator organizations like this, they can and and you know I'm gonna have Kayla Harrison on my radio show later. Kayla Harrison and PFL. Organizations who are in these kinds of positions are able to match make around your relative, in this case, you know, two-time Olympic gold medal, in the case of Gary Tonin, you know, every grappling event of the last four years of significance he's been in. Um, they've got a lot of experience when it comes to MMA. They're, you know, rookies again. They can match make around your rookiness. You know, they can give you just the right kind of person to beat up on. And that's who Mackenzie Dern got in her last fight. She got a person who was like real stiff, you know, and didn't really want to commit to her punches. So Mackenzie was able to open up and really commit to the pocket. I mean, there was just a lot of good stuff about that. So I think one will be able to, to, to do that. Um, I don't know what kind of name he's got in Southeast Asia. I know he had a couple of grappling matches with them. So hard to say, but it's it's a good fit. It's a real good fit, and I'm excited about it. And then again, someone says Conan is going to fight before Dennis. That would be very interesting. Be very interesting. Uh, I thought Holly Holmes' response to Cyborg's accusations was one of the more hilarious and effective shutdowns in a long time, especially the way she did it via video. However, I was curious as your thoughts on, as a sports journalist on how Cyborg's initial allegations were reported as I saw her claims posted on reputable MMA sites, even here in MMA Fighting, basically as is and seemingly without an attempt to verify her claims. I've not read that story here, so I cannot speak to that, but you might be right. I don't know. Do you think that in situations like this, it is enough to just clearly present arguments like that as something said by this person? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, some due diligence is in order. Uh, yeah, look, yes, the answer is due diligence is in order. I don't know to what extent there was a lapse. I don't have control of that it was kind of editorial stuff. I would say our standard typically on the site is pretty high. I'm pretty proud of the, our record, but... Uh, Maybe you're right. I don't know. But it's not like the end of the world. In any case, um, 
This is a man as an accusation of slam. Just generally interested in your view on the matter as the slides it was. Yeah, without having read the story that we put up on that, I can't really effectively say a whole lot about it other than, yes, due diligence is always typically in order. You know, um, I'll just leave it at that. Most violent fights this year. What do you think of the top most violent fights this year? Here are mine in order of most violence potential at one. Number five, this is violence potential. Dillashaw Garbrandt, Swanson Ortega, Lawler RDA, Ponzinibbio Perry. Ooh, yeah. Gaethje Alvarez. It's a pretty good list. I wonder if Dillashaw Garbrandt, I'm expecting it to be action-packed, but I'm expecting that to be... You know, a real chess game, too. A little bit of both. So I don't know that Dillashaw Garbrandt would go at four, but Swanson Ortega just feels like it's got action written all over it. Lawler RDA, Ponzinibbio Perry, I mean. And then Gaethje Alvarez. You know, that's just... That's just two horde armies of orcs from Lord of the Rings crashing into each other there. Dillashaw Garbrandt... I mean, I expect a great fight. Don't misunderstand me. Would it be number one or number five? Hmm. I don't know. Follow up on Gaethje Alvarez. You concerned that it is not a five-round fight. It feels a shame that it is not a five-rounder. Normally, I'd say yes, but it's Justin Gaethje. Not that he hasn't gone past the third round. I don't believe it. How many times has he gone past the third round? Let's see. Oh, Justin Gaethje. see he is 28 he has gone past the third round never <laughs> he has never gone to the fourth round so no i'm not really worried <coughs> i'm not saying it <coughs> i'm not saying it's not ideal that five rounds would not be ideal maybe it would be but i yeah i mean that's in all likelihood this one's not going the distance you know I don't know. I don't know when it's going to end, but you get the idea. Eddie has been talking about not giving an F, and his coach Mark Henry said this will be a guaranteed brawl. Do you think they are both trying to hoodwink us all? And Eddie will Eddie will instead take a smart game plan approach to try and win a decision. A lot of guys try and wrestle with Gaethje. They forget that Gaethje can wrestle, has good takedown defense, he can scramble, um, and he finds ways to force you into just swinging with him. Do you think this fight is worth the excitement levels? Yes. And will it be as action-packed as we all think? Probably. Your general thoughts about the fight and both fighters going into this? Um, I'm not sure what to say about that. I'm really, I'm super pumped. Uh, yay. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm really excited. I'm not trying to like down it. I'm, I'm very, very excited. I just don't have, I haven't ruminated about Gaethje Alvarez enough to give you something a, a little additional. Um, Nick Diaz is Nick Diaz basically done with the sport? That's my that's my hunch. I know this is an age old question, but I was hoping you've heard something new in the past few months. Nope. Of potential plans in the UFC for him. Also, are you now able to talk about that crazy fight he was offered that you said you wouldn't believe? No. And um, no, I don't think he's coming back. Never say never. But forced to make a pick, yes or no, I'm going to pick no. Um, he's just 
not interested. And from the folks that I had interaction with negatively around him, I don't know if that person who was around him is still around him, but that one person, the biggest clown I've ever encountered in MMA, truly a very stupid person. And some of the good people around him, um, they're great and they're, and they're very talented and they're very smart and they're very nice, but they don't seem to indicate to me that any kind of return is, you know, I wouldn't, they, I don't know if they've ruled out it's possible, but imminent or even likely they have totally ruled out. So what my recommendation would be is if it happens, great, but I would turn the page on it and just say, Nate's still there. We can probably get some more fights out of him, at least one more, maybe some other ones. And, uh, and that's great. And we had a lot of great Nick Diaz fights. If he doesn't want to fight, you know, what can you do? But in terms of like expecting him to return, no, I think that ship has sailed. I hope to, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. I saw that interaction with Rampage. I didn't know what that was. All right. You guys had an interesting discussion around the term violence in an MMA UFC context on the last edition of the MMA Beat, which I think kind of sums up both the repulsion and attraction to violence and MMA. It's not one or the other, it's both. You can both be attracted and repulsed. Yes, it's true by certain forms of it, and everyone's going to have a bit of a different threshold. The question is, is there, an, you know, what are the, what are the absolute limits either way? Um, did your views change on it after your discussion? No. Why would they change? I'm not saying I'm in favor of all forms of violence. I'm not in favor of, you know, guys bare knuckle fighting on a street where somebody gets cracked and then the head, you know, hits the canvas. Now they've got brain. I mean, this are not the canvas, the cement. And you know, this is terrible. No one's in favor of this. No one's in favor of children fighting, for example. Um, there's lots of things, uh, even in MMA contexts, that I'm, I'm not in favor of because it's really just not palatable. We went, we went back. Remember the uh, discussion around MVP and the shot he landed on Cyborg? I, I said it then, I'll say it again. If that kind of thing was common, you couldn't have MMA. MMA's, MMA works because there's a certain amount of violence the body can tolerate, punishment, and there's a certain amount we can stomach around medical concerns. And that's ever-shifting, by the way. It's not a static line. It's always moving and there's no real one consensus on it, but there's a general, a general uh, palatability line. But if everyone was getting hit, like Cyborg was, and their skulls were getting smashed, you couldn't do MMA. It would just not be possible. There would be a death or serious incident, or just these, you know, people would have legitimate medical concerns. But because that kind of thing is rare, incredibly rare, um, it's not the end of the world even though that was a very serious situation. It's that, it's that kind of thing. So, um, so no, my opinion all along is that it's not, it's not that when I say I like violence, that I like all forms of violence. I like violence in all contexts. I like violence no matter what. No, it's not what I'm saying. But I'm also not saying I have a repulsion to the notion, the idea that like does violence, again, in certain contexts and limits and shapes and forms, does violence excite me yes yes it does 
Does violence entertain me? Sure does. Do I like certain forms of violence? A lot. <laughs> A lot. Um, and I don't really have any challenging feelings about admitting that. But saying that doesn't mean, well, I, I, I get, because I like watching someone get punched in the face, that I like someone getting punched in the face in their sleep, you know, or, or you know, think of something despicable. No. And again, that's a difficult conversation to have because my line's going to be different than yours. Yours is going to be different than the next one. Certain things will appeal to you that will not appeal to me. We just have to kind of come to some sort of communal consensus about what we allow and don't allow. And not everyone even will agree with that, but it makes it at least palatable enough to let the machine operate. And then from there, you can make your own consumption choices about you know, what it is that you like. So no. As a perfect epilogue to your discussion on the beat, the UFN Winnipeg card got finalized with violence guaranteed. RDA versus Lawler, Aldo versus Lamas, Ponzinibbio versus Perry, Glover versus Sarkunov on the main card, and Kenanier versus Little Nog, Jordan Meehan versus Silva, uh, Tim Elliott, Bang Bose on the prelims. Do you think you could not think of violence after attending UFN Winnipeg? I mean, we'll see how it goes, but yeah. Sure, and I can't wait for that violence on that day. Going to be awesome. And this is true of many things in life. We want certain kinds of thrills and titillations, but you want, you want, you know, you want a limit on it as well. You know, you want to go on a roller coaster. You want to feel the danger, the drop, the climb, the turn, the, the, the you know, you want to defy gravity, but you want roller coasters to be um, inspected and maintained. You want the people to operate roller coasters to have training. You want the people who own the parks to have the licenses to put on these kinds of things to begin with. Um, you want government regulators who hand out the licenses to make sure they're doing their due diligence. You want the technology to be good enough so that you can get the thrill without having to have real concern about being jettisoned from the roller coaster. That's sort of how I feel about it. There's all kinds of concerns you have to have, but on some level, do you like that feeling? Do you like defying gravity in that way? Yeah, you love it. It's awesome. Any news on Ben Win or Duho Choi? No. I had been on my show after his last win in Auckland, but no. Robbie Lawler's next fight. Got to hand it to Lawler. Despite his age and the wars he's been in, he is not looking for easy fights. No, he is not. Old Bob, Bob Lawler out there has an unbelievable commitment to the kind of fights that he's got a real old school attitude, man, doesn't he? He's got a real 2005 era UFC uh, self-matchmaking ethos. You know, what's the toughest fight? Okay, I'll have that one. Oh, what's the toughest fight? Okay, I'll have that one. You know, he's he, he's kind of remarkable in that way. Um, and he's done it across two weight classes. And yeah, he had a bit of a time on the sojourn scene where he was going, you know, to Icon Sport and other organizations outside. And, you know, he didn't necessarily have the best strike force run. But, um, but yeah, he is typically, and especially late in his career, he has really sought out to achieve through meritocracy. And he's developed a reputation as a consequence. But, yeah, no, it's, it, I am very, yeah, I wouldn't call him the last of the Mohicans. You know, we don't need to break that music out just yet, but, what that kind of thinking is, is going away or at least fading a little bit. It's not as prevalent as it used to be. And look, there are problems with that one too. When every guy's like, I'll take the toughest fight, you know, the promoters get a lot of leeway to do some things 
that perhaps they shouldn't be. And they get a certain license to do things perhaps that they shouldn't do. But, um, you know, and that's when you get guys who are like, yeah, I love the Reebok deal, you know. Um, when you have those kinds of environments. Environments. But suffice to say, in an era where guys are like, what's the best fight I can take for me that gets me the most of money, that gets me the least amount of pro problems, which is totally rational, that just doesn't align with the fans. And old Bob Lawler's like, oh, is that a really tough fight that may not necessarily... I mean, in this case, it is good for a square, given what it could do to advance him, because it's a tall shot eliminator. But he's taking some ones that weren't necessarily like that, you know? Uh, oh, is it, you know, this is the toughest one? Great. Sweet, let's do it. That, 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 that guy is going away. That kind of guy. At this point, I take a third Nate Diaz fight over a boxing match with Paulie. What the effing F? Yeah, I know. At least the Nate Diaz fight would be MMA. Like, why are we promoting... <laughs> why do fight MMA fans want to see a boxing match? They don't like each other. Ooh. How minimalist a concern. Can they fight? At a high level? They don't like each other. Don Gotti the third. <laughs> what are the chances he's in Bellator by next year? I don't know. If you can fight at all, I'd say pretty high. That's hilarious. I haven't even thought about that, but that's really funny. Uh, I believe that no, quote, solution to extreme weight cutting is without problems, but one thought I had and haven't heard of was that fighters get randomly weighed the same way they get randomly drug tested. If USADA reps can watch a fighter shower, which they shouldn't be able to do, but okay, and then take their urine, I don't see why they couldn't also watch them step on a scale and record their weight. Well, this is an additional amount of work and resources that, number one, USADA is not hired to do. Number two, there's a sort of reliability about the scales themselves. Three, this would be additional costs that now would have to be paid by UFC. And I just don't think they, I don't think USADA wants to do that. And I don't think UFC wants to pay USADA to do that. Connor's legacy, if he takes the poly fight, I've seen a lot of talk of Connor's legacy being diminished if he takes the poly fight. Am I the only one who thinks this won't be the case? There'll be a lot of initial backlash in the hardcore base, as there should be. But Ali fought Inaki in Japan and failed a drug test after the Holmes fight. Mayweather fought Connor. Tyson basically self-combusted. Hoist Gracie failed a PED test, and their legacies are secure. Connor will never have a GSP DJ-esque legacy, but he'll go down the books as the first dual champ and one of three, at least as of now, people to own two titles. Years from now, that's what people will remember because that's the narrative that will be promoted. I mean, everyone goes gaga over Couture, but he picked a up a huge number of losses. Yeah, because he took on tough fights he shouldn't have been taking. Big difference. And fought James Tony in a sham of a fight, too. That's true. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be mixed. But, I mean, look, you're talking about a guy who... I know some fight fans are like, man, he got fights given to him. Yeah, go look at the guys he's fought, though. He's fought some tough bastards, you know. Um, and he has beaten a lot of tough bastards. And I, I think you're right. I, I don't think if he fought Paul, he'd be like, oh, my God, legacy destroyed. You know, it takes a lot to destroy a legacy. But... You know, it would also be part of his legacy that he never defended a title. You know, he would have the things he has for sure, 
But let's say he goes and fights Paulie, and I don't find this likely, but I didn't find it likely that Mayweather was going to march him down either. What if Connor does the same thing to Paulie, where he just tunes him up for six and then fades? And I'm, let me just hear me out. And then Connor gets stopped again in like the ninth or the tenth, this time like viciously. You know, again, unlikely, but not super, super crazy unlikely. Uh, you know, what have you done to your record, to your life then? Yeah, again, two huge paychecks, maybe not the end of the world, but then if you want to go back to MMA, um, how much time have you given up where you're supposed to be training that way? What happens if you go and you get washed then? If you get stripped of the title? There's just a lot of ways where it doesn't take away the things he's earned, but it adds a lot of bad things to it, which makes the picture a little bit more muddied. Again, depending on what happens. Or he goes in there and he just starches Paulie and he goes back to MMA everything's fine. That could be something too. Um, you have to wait till all this plays out before you declare what his legacy is. These things are kind of complicated and they need to play out first before you can really say. Um, but I, it's less about, I, I'm not asking, I'm not saying I don't I don't want to see Connor fight Paulie because of his legacy. I mean, I suppose there's something to be said for that. It's not that it's an irrelevant concern. But my major concern is just sort of very straightforward. I don't care about Connor boxing anymore, uh, at least not anytime soon. As a consumer, I want to see him do what he's really good at, and that's fight other lightweights or whatever in MMA. That's 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 what this whole game is about. That's how he got his name, and we're just going to move on from that because he's got a grudge with a sparring partner. I mean, I just, I, I can't, I can't understand it. I just can't understand it. Fighter of the year. Given the schedule for the rest of the year is nearly decided, who would you think would be your favorite for fighter of the year, providing, provided, they win a fight in the final quarter? Seems a hard one, as no one has had an absolute standout and took a belt during the year, had enough fights at the top to be considered. Joanna Champion, Tyron Woodley, Max Holloway, or maybe Stipe if he gets another fight and the champions are to consider if they get another win in. Or does Connor get it for his crossover? Uh, Connor does not get it for his crossover. DJ Whitaker. Uh, either DJ, DJ probably would get it, given what he's done. Um, no, Connor would not get it for getting finished in a boxing match. No, I would not. I would not say that that would be elite achievement um, for being a fighter. Probably DJ. I mean, Tyron Woodley, what he did was very impressive on paper, but not. It's going to be a hard sell. Um, Max Holloway doing what he's done has always been amazing. Let's see if he beats Edgar and he finishes Edgar. That could be impressive, right? Because um, he beat. Let me see this. So there's still big fights left. We can't quite close the door. Yeah, because he beat Pettis in December of 2016. But if he had wins over Aldo and Edgar, two former champions of two different weight classes, and he finished them both, that would be pretty impressive. That would be pretty impressive. I might have to give it to him in that particular case. Uh, for now, I guess DJ would probably get it, given the nature of his wins and the significance of them in terms of the streak. One says DJ broke the record for title defenses, had two finishes, and both were impressive. Indeed. 
DJ has two spectacular wins this year. Hayes and Borg. Whitaker KO Jacare and beat Romero. It's pretty impressive. Also, the Wikipedia entry for DJ has the Borg finish labeled Mouse Trap. So it says, it's been such an injury absence ravaged year that I was struggling to find a champion or contender who had strung together three wins inside the year, but guess it's fine for DJ uh, to have a given he has broken a record. After the beat. Okay, Luke, on the last after the beat, you said that if you were in an occupation, uh, you were working in D.C. in public policy as someone who's recently moved to D.C. For my master's in philosophy and social policy, I'd want to know what you would want to focus on to keep it somewhat MMA relevant. What do you think the top public policy problem is in MMA? Jesus. Outside of MMA, the real world. I've got a big focus on infrastructure and how cities have planned and have poorly arranged our lives uh, through urban sprawl and the poor use of municipal spaces. That's what I, what I, at least in America, that's what I consider. I don't know if it's the number one pu public policy problem, but it's the one I, I look at most commonly. It's what I think about the most. Uh, what do you think the top public policy problem is in MMA? Well, there's not much public policy in MMA, is there? Um, I mean, these are private concerns because they get the independent contractor employee, but that's private concern. Unless you want to have a sort of a larger conversation about the gig economy and, and to what extent fighters fit in it. Um, it's a good question. I have to think about that one a little bit. But they're not really relevant in any kind of meaningful way inside MMA. Uh, that's funny. You know what? Let me look up something here real quick. I guess the biggest public policy problem in MMA, now that I think about it, maybe the lack of a federal commission, maybe the lack of some kind of binding federal, I mean, it doesn't affect the population. It affects a very narrow portion of the population. So public policy in MMA doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. But if you think about the MMA community and to what extent there's no federal commission and no federal guidelines, um, or the notion that the government is at all involved in the regulation of it. Both of these have significant consequence. Again, not exactly public policy, but um, those are two issues I really think about. As I mentioned before, I think running to regulation as they did was a necessary step in making sure the sport didn't go away, but I think they kind of overdid it and they didn't give themselves any escape valves for innovation. And so now innovation is in terms of rule sets and scoring and judging um, and evaluating contests and en enabling referees has been badly hampered. I think there's an absolute critical need for that to be fixed. And more generally, what the ABC does, the Association of Boxing Commissions, such as it is, has no binding power in MMA. It's simply state by state. And so therefore, you're now getting this fracture rule set across the country. So if we're in Idaho, we get a different rule set than if we're in Texas or in Florida or in Virginia or in New Jersey. No me gusta.
Soroni versus Till. Are you looking forward to it? I am. In fact, I'm going to do a post-fight show on YouTube about it. Uh, who do you think will win, and what are the key areas where this fight will be decided? I think Cerrone is going to win because Till is a strong starter, and he doesn't fade late. That's not really fair, but he doesn't... There's a certain second or third gear he sometimes doesn't go into that I think he could, and Cerrone does. Cerrone can change a lot. He doesn't get a lot of credit for it. Oh, he's got a good guard. Oh, he's got good striking. Right. But if you take certain things away from him, he can work around that. He actually is pretty good at making adjustments. And so I think Till might have a little problem for him early. Um, but I think if he, if Cerrone can hang on, I think late in the fight, he can really turn it on and give it to Till in a way that perhaps he's not expecting. But the reason why I like it is because I don't know that. You don't know how much damage Cerrone has taken. And Till might be the real deal. He might be the next big thing. And if he can overcome a challenge like this, hey, that's good for him. That's good for Europe. That's good for uh, a lot of folks. Um, so I'm excited to see what he can do. It's a, you know, these guys want a big test. You need a guy like Cowboy to lay it on the line so that they can get a, get a name off of themselves. So, so thank God there's, again, one of the last of the Mohicans. The guy out there who just goes and puts it on the line, maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's great for the fans. Hey, <laughs> acknowledge as much. So, sure, sure. I'm very excited about it. Mm -hmm. Good question. Look, you still know what happened with – I had Mike Tyson uh, in studio on SiriusXM, and he was not good. Do you still don't know what happened with Mike that day? I haven't seen it. Just the clip you posted on YouTube, and it was absolutely right to not release it to the public. Mike looks like uh, Mike looks to be doing the podcast and, and his Undisputed Truth Las Vegas show as usual. Will you try to interview him again? I saw a clip of his Vegas show after that, and he looked fine. So I'm wondering if he was – I was told he was dealing with medication related to surgery. That would make sense because when I saw a clip of his subsequent one-man show – it was a completely different Tyson. I mean, maybe he was totally turned off um, by me and all the other people who interviewed him because it wasn't just me who had that response. Everyone was like, what was what was wrong with him? But uh, it, it appears to have been temporary. It appears to have been temporary. So there you go. Is the Darren Till hype train legit? We're going to find out. That's what's so great about Saturday. This guy has obviously a lot of ability, Darren Till. He's got a big mouth, and he is making bold proclamations. Let us create a stage and see if he can do it. If he can cross that line, this is how, I'm not saying Saturday is a moment, but that kind of process is how stars are born. Let's see if he can do it. I think a, a guy with a Scouse accent and speaks Portuguese and a big mouth and confidence and a great skill set, this is a great this is a great opportunity to maybe make you know uh, the next big star in, in MMA and um, again it, if he's going to become one it starts on Saturday with Cowboy Cerrone so do I have my apprehensions do I have my beliefs that maybe this is a little bit too much for him maybe but I don't know the future so that's why they fight to settle these kinds of questions about who really is the better guy my sense is Cerrone is the better guy and not too shop worn let's see. Let's see. True or false, the UFC will still have a men's flyweight division on January 1st, 2020. Ooh.
falls. Uh, lead singer of the band, the Canadian band, the tragically hip died of terminal cancer. Have you ever listened to them? I actually saw them open. He, I mean, man, it must have been 17 years ago. I saw them open for Blues Traveler at um, U Hall, as it used to be called, on the campus of the University of Virginia. I was dating a girl there at the time. And uh, my brother went to UVA there as well. And so I was visiting and we went to a concert and they wanted to go. Me, I could, you know, Blues Traveler, I could take it or leave it, but uh, uh, Tragically Hip opened. So, yeah, I saw them in concert. Uh, he did that. You know, this guy knew he had cancer, and I think he just tried to tour as long as he could. Uh, I don't, I think the idea was that, correct me if I'm wrong, if you're out there, he, he, I think he did seek forms of treatment, but not super aggressive forms of treatment. I don't know that there were super forms of aggressive treatment available, given his, the nature of the condition. But he just kind of, they, I remember they had a farewell show not too, too, too long ago. And he passed away either last night or this morning and uh, lived a full life. 30 years of a, being a professional musician, you know, you, you, did, you did something great. You did something great. Uh, let's go at 2.15. Let's go to the Twitter machine. I'm at at L Thomas News, or you can use the hashtag chat rappers. Either of those will suffice. Landon Donovan is strongly considering a U.S. soccer presidential run, according to Grant Wall on Fox Sports. Anyone's better than Sunil Gulati. You know how embarrassing it is that the U.S. men's team <laughs> flew to Trinidad and Tobago and couldn't beat their B team? I mean, this is, this is like, you know, in the, in the words of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, this is a day that will live in infamy. Uh, my God, so embarrassing. All right. Any idea when Michael Chandler is coming back? I know he moved to Tennessee and opened up a facility there. Uh, I do not know when he is coming back, but I think it should be soon. If your friend invited you to, to a self-marriage wedding where they marry themselves, would you bring gifts and attend? If by gifts you mean bag uh, a bag of feces and urine, and if by attend you mean throw it at them, yes, I would. Don't feel bad about stealing hot sauce. I take two bags of chips every time I go to Subway to balance out karma. There you go. Shoplifting is so much fun. Uh, CM Punk versus Paulie Malignaggi. Winner versus Brock Lesnar. <laughs> CM Punk versus Paulie in MMA. I mean, what are we doing, folks? We're just, you know, hey, let's watch this dog fight this cat. Put flippers on him. I know you said you cut the cord. What DVR services are available to you without a TV provider? I can't speak to all the cord cutting options, but here's what here's what mine are. First, I have YouTube TV, which has unlimited DVR. You can literally record everything. You can record as much. I mean, I mean, there must be some kind of technical limit based on what these servers can maintain, but you get the idea. You can record as much as you like. So that's great. Um, now I have a DVR service as well with sling, which I think is a little bit limited in what it can hold, but it's pretty big, but, uh, I only record the bare minimum given that YouTube TV has unlimited. So that's the, the I pay for a DVR service. I think it's like five or 10 bucks extra a month with sling. And then as part of the 35 bucks a month with YouTube TV, it's just unlimited DVR. It's great. It's one of the really good benefits of, uh, and you can set it by the way, YouTube TV. So you have your sports teams, I have mine. I've said it where if there's on TV that they have on their channel listings on YouTube TV, if there's a Real Madrid game, Washington Redskins, or UFC, 
PFL. They don't they don't carry spikes. There's no Bellator, but you can pick your teams. Washington Capitals. Sorry, God damn it, Wizards. That kind of thing, and it will just record all games that it that it scans um, automatically. So I put in like World Strongest Man. It records all of those. Um, just a bunch of stuff too. So it's pretty cool. And of course, you can just record. You know, Saturday Night Live, whatever comes on, or or whatever it is that you watch. Do you plan to have any XM podcasting events in NYC the week weekend of UFC 217? We're going to do a tweet up. I don't know what exactly, but we're going to do a tweet up for sure. Probably that Friday. Uh, I'm planning a trip to take a student group to DC next semester. Aside from the obvious, what should we see? Well, the strip clubs in town are good guys. Um, God, what's the one on M Street? Um, not Excalibur. That's the casino in Las Vegas. It's uh, Jesus. What's the strip club on M Street in DC? Man, it's been so long since I've been. There's, there's, uh, let's see, Camelot. Yes, Camelot. That's a nice little club to go to. So there you go. Go see those. So it says, I don't want to see Connor compete in other sports either, but this matchup is intriguing. No, it definitely isn't. It definitely isn't. This is hard. I don't understand how you could be an MMA fan and be like, man, what I really want to see is Connor not, not fight in MMA against someone he just doesn't like. Ooh. So it says, for now, you guess DJ for fighter of the year. LOL. Seems like a lock. It's not a lock. If Max Holloway goes and beats Frankie Edgar, first of all, he already had beaten the featherweight champ. If he beats the previous lightweight champ, uh, even if he doesn't finish him, that's, to me, better. So, no, I don't think it is a lock. It's fair for DJ to win fighter of the year. He hasn't won one yet. That's not how winning works. It's not a quota. Thoughts on Kevin Lee lying about having staff to the NYSAC. No, it was not NY. It was Vegas. Um, could they refuse him a license in the future? They can do a lot of things. So if you guys didn't see this, he basically said he had no illnesses and was not taking any medication. Now, what med medication he took, we don't really know. Uh, if he took any real actual medication, maybe it was just, you know, emergency and a hot water bottle or something. I, I don't know. I don't know what he had done to treat it, but, uh, and then whether or not that was compliant with, um, USADA standards, but long story short, he did not disclose that and then put makeup on it to conceal it when it mattered. So my first thought is that like, obviously that kind of duplicity is not good for the sport. I understand why he did it because remember there's no such, there's no such thing as show and win money. There's participation money. And then there's participation money once the bout's completed plus bonus given a win. There's no such thing as show and win. So if he doesn't fight, he doesn't get any money. So at least no guarantees anyway. So I can understand why these guys are under pressure to take something like that. And if he hadn't taken it in a week like that, man, it would have been really bad. You know, imagine if that main event had fallen out. It would have been, would have been kind of a disaster. Um, so, you know. He's obviously tough, and I understand the pressure these guys are under. At the same time, you just you know you you want these guys to answer honestly. The best the best kind of care comes from if you go to the doctor and you are you know 
coughing up blood and he tells you, hey, you're coughing up blood. You're like, nope, they can't properly treat you, right? So it's some measure of transparency is needed for this to be the system to work. So the question is, how rigorous is the system in the event where a fighter is not transparent, whatever their motivations may be? And I think the answer to that is not particularly stringent. Um, if you can get by with just answering some things on a medical and putting makeup on your chest and they can't tell the difference, even when there are vital signs that have your standing heart rate at 152, are you kidding me? You know, normal is 60 to 100. Uh, and he's at 152. I mean, this wasn't a red flag for them. Uh, I, you know, it, it's just, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. So it looks to me like that test that they do, whatever kind of physical examination is not particularly thorough. Um, but, you know, when Bob Bennett's like, I completely trust my doctors. It's like, I get that the fighter did not give your doctors complete information and that really hampers them. You need to operate under the assumption that these fighters don't give you accurate information because they have a lot of incentive to not give you accurate information. And your doctors need to do a really much more thorough exam um, with what they see. On top of that, even if they did a really thorough exam and Kevin Lee was just super slick with it, just saying, well, it's not my doctor's fault. It's kind of like, like still falls on you. You're still the regulator. You still have to answer for it. Just saying, well, I trust my doctor is like, all right, man, whatever. Is Connor big enough to have a successful daytime pay-per-view if there were to do a show in Croke Park according to curfew? Probably. I mean, we saw a bunch of pay-per-view. We saw some, like, there were some rules about pay-per-view we thought couldn't get beaten, couldn't be overcome. You know, like, you had to have a pay-per-view basically in North America for it to work really well. You had to have a pay-per-view. Um, if you're going to do one in the UK, you had to do it you know, where you're adjusting so everyone leaves there at like four in the morning, that kind of thing. And then you had uh, Rhonda go to Australia, and that was the same time for us here in North America. Ooh, make sure I didn't mess with my sound. No, I didn't. Um, and that was the same time here in North America, but it's hard to get English-speaking, not English-speaking, it's hard to get North American-based media, which is going to disseminate information to their readers and listeners and viewers to get effective media promotion when you're all the way across the other side of the world, right? Same is true in Brazil, similar time zone, but um, hard to get the Chicago Tribune and the San Jose Mercury News and, you know, whatever to properly tell folks about what's happening um, when they're not in Brazil. It's just, it's hard when you're, if you're in Las Vegas or you're in New York City, it's very, very easy to help spread the word. It's much, much, much harder when you're overseas, but Rhonda ended up being so big that it didn't matter. They were able to do it very effectively. Um, so you now wonder, okay, well, they changed the country, but insofar as North American pay-per-view buying audiences are concerned, they didn't change the time zone. Now you're changing the time zone. What did um, what did that one pay-per-view do? Hold on just a second. The uh, midday Silva Maya pay-per-view. Let me look this up here, if I may. All right, so UFC 117. This did 600,000 buys. Jesus, can you imagine that? 
Oh, wait, that's the wrong one. That's Chael Sonnen. I was about to say, Jesus, that's really good. UFC 112, pardon me. That did 500,000. Jesus, man, those were the, that was the heyday of the UFC right there, boy. When you put on a pay-per-view in the middle of the uh, at 1 p.m. and you still did half a million buys, can you imagine that today? Silva versus Maya, Penn versus Edgar Hughes versus Gracie. UFC 2, 1, 112, Invincible. My Lord, that is shocking. You couldn't pull that off today. No chance. Um, so you know what? Connor, though, can buck those trends. So to answer your question, I think he could. The question, though, is not whether or not he could pull off a big buy rate if he did it at Croke Park. Um, he could pull off a big buy rate, it seems like, just about anywhere. The question is, could he pull off a bigger buy rate if he went somewhere else at a time zone that was more accommodating of the largest portion of the pay-per-view buying audience? So you could do a million, let's say, if you did it, but if you did it at, you know, at T-Mobile versus Croke Park, could you do two million? So the question you have to ask yourself there is, uh, what does Connor want to do? Does he want to really have this eventful, impactful, cultural moment, national moment at Croke Park? I mean, I'm sure he does. If, if a real opportunity presented itself, let's see. Let's see if he can if he makes it happen. And if not, let's see why it didn't happen. But to answer the question, could it do a decent to good by rate? Sure. Only way MMA will get back to how it was in 2010 and 2013 is for Connor to lose his belt to Tony Ferguson point blank period. No, don't agree with that. Who do you think will win on Saturday in the Aspen Lad versus Lena Landsberg fight? I think Aspen Lad's going to beat the brakes off of her. Even though we had a pretty bad year in MMA, the November December events the UFC have announced are some bangers. Yes, they certainly are. Very, very good cards. Luke Rockhold, news hint. It's going to be till 2018. Just take my word for it. Uh, UFC 218 is Conor McGregor actually takes this fight with Paulie. How do you think it will go over with the majority of fans? You mean an MMA fight? Jesus, I don't even know. I think it'd just be laughable. Winner of Cody TJ versus DJ will sell over 400K plus. Agree? Potentially. It's possible. Let's see what kind of pay-per-view buy rate um, 217 does. With the UFC making the Mac Malinaji fight be an admission they need money for the debt, and would it make much money? It would make money because there are low-information casuals who'd be like, wow, there's a rivalry between two guys who are not really good at this, A, anymore, B, ever. Let's watch. Um, yeah, I'd probably make, how much money? I know. Uh, yeah, it's debatable, but it would make money, which I understand. I'm not saying it wouldn't. I'm just saying I don't need to care about that. I'm not, I don't run WME. It's not a relevant concern for me. Uh, would it be an admission they need money for the debt? It would be, yeah, or or that they have no control over Connor at all. You know, do you think that the UFC will do another pay per view that will get one million buys without Connor with the current roster? No, or not as the current roster currently stands. No. Do you think more fighters will start to train more of the CACC shoot fighting approach rather than the current BJJ trend with the success of DJs with his catch wrestling rooted style? No, there are no, there are very few catch wrestling trainers or gyms or opportunities. There's a lot of uh, BJJ to train and it's 
pretty serviceable. Is uh, all right. It's two thirty. What did I miss here? Deuce dangerous weight cuts. All right. It's 2.30. I have to go. I have meetings to attend. I have radio shows to host. Thank you guys so much for watching. Please subscribe below to MMA Fighting if you haven't. Give this a like and a thumbs up and all that good stuff. Um, if I missed anything, email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. I'll try to get to it. And I'll be back next week. There's an MMA beat tomorrow. Yada, yada, yada. There's Bellator on Friday, UFC on Saturday. Tons of good stuff. Tons of good stuff. Thank you guys so much for watching. Until next time, donkeys, stay frosty.